Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill. Ah. The comfort of your favorite seat is now your comfy car-selling command center, thanks to Carvana. It doesn't get any better than this. Your favorite seat's the best spot in the house. Make it even better by entering your license plate or VIN and getting a real offer in minutes. There really is no place like home. And speaking of home, Carvana will pick up your car from yours after you finalize your offer. Visit Carvana.com or download the app and sell your car from your comfy place. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Attention BetMGM customers. Have a friend who loves sports as much as you do? Here's a chance for both of you to earn a $50 bonus when they sign up through BetMGM's Refer-A-Friend program. Just sign into your BetMGM account and click on the Refer-A-Friend program to send your friend a message inviting them to register a new account in the same state you use BetMGM in. Once your friend signs up and makes a deposit, they'll receive a $50 bonus. And once your friend places a bet with their bonus and the wager is settled, you'll receive a $50 bonus as well. Share the excitement and get a $50 bonus every time you refer a friend to BetMGM. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. Must be 21 years of age or older to wager. Ohio only. New and existing customer offer. All promotions are subject to qualification and eligibility requirements. Rewards issued as non-withdrawable bonus bets. Bonus bets expire in 30 days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with MGM Northfield Park. Introducing the Lowe's List for Innovation. While our aisles are filled with innovative products, we've selected our favorites just for you. Like the exclusive Whirlpool washer with industry-first two-in-one removable agitator. We love this washer because you can customize any load. And with other smart features to streamline your laundry routine, this product is a must-have for families. Shop the full Lowe's list of top picks at Lowe's.com. Lowe's, home to any budget, home to any possibility. U.S. only. McCusick, how are you doing? Got an interesting topic for you today. We're going to talk about the top UDFA selections, UDFA signings, I should say, in Ravens history. Joining me for that is Jason Wolbert. Known Jason for a long time, although I never knew his name, as WNC Ravens, I believe it is, uh, North Carolina product, uh, who talks a lot about Ravens, uh, Ravens and writes a lot about them, mostly on posts on the RSR board. Jason, how are you doing? Hi. Yeah, Baltimore, born and raised, uh, but currently I'm uh, in the western North Carolina area and uh, 
hence my uh, handle on the RSR board. All right. Well, nice to finally get a chance to talk to you, Jason, after all these years of reading some some very intelligent posts I highly recommend. Uh, not a Twitter guy, I'm, I'm led to believe, right? Uh, no, I am on Facebook, but uh, uh, I guess I should be finally getting a Twitter account pretty soon. But uh, um, uh, I am uh, reachable uh, uh, via Facebook, Jason Wilbert, um, and uh, also, uh, of course, reachable uh, via the RSR uh, message board, uh, Russell Street Report, um, as WNC Ravens fan. WNC Ravens fan. Okay, Jason, let's get right to it here. We're going to talk a little bit about our top 15. But before we do this, the, the source of this was you creating a list of the top AV, and that's approximate value, which comes to, is a pro football reference statistic we've talked about on this show before a fair amount, um, that uh, attempts to evaluate players oftentimes is used in draft analysis and such. Tell us a little bit about that and about your list. Okay, well, um, the list for me, uh, it was merely a way to sort uh, all these undrafted free agents and show just the um, uh, unusually large amount of success that the Ravens have had over the years um, in the uh, UDFA market um, using uh, approximate value uh, to sort them from uh, top to bottom. Uh, down to uh, a low of nine. Anyway, there, you know, of course, many more going all the way down to zero. Um, for me, uh, AV is, it's an easy reference stat in order to be able to present uh, a list of people. I've also done um, uh, such lists for Ravens draft picks. I've done it, you know, for Ravens draft picks by round. Um, uh, I've done it for uh, free agents during their time as a Raven. Uh, it's also a way to kind of separate their uh, Ravens uh, seasons from non-Raven seasons um, because it is a cumulative stat and it's done season by season. Um, but uh, AV does have its cons. If you're actually talking about the value of these particular players, um, I get the feeling that it rewards playing time over quality playing time, for example. Definitely. And it's a big problem with the offensive linemen because it's very start-centric. So one of the things about, about the, that the metric tries to do is it looks at your, your points per drive relative to the average league points per drive, assigns your offense a total number of points to be divided then among the offensive players, and the first assumption off the top is that 45% of your offensive value goes to the offensive line. Your line is exactly as good as your offense is in whole. So you can never have a, a, a place where your skill positions contribute more to your line, like, say, on the 2019 Ravens, or uh, you, you, you can never have a different relationship than that 45%. And then beyond that, the only difference for offensive linemen other than the starts is, is based on all pro or pro bowl nods. So there's not a lot of differentiation that makes a lot of sense for offensive linemen in particular. Right. It relies very much on team success. Um, so uh, you can, you can get a, a good score if you're, if your entire unit, your entire offensive unit does well, hmm. or if it doesn't do as well. Um, and also I don't 
seem to see an awful lot of uh, credit for special team snaps either. No, it's not. It's not a well-developed system there either. They they do have some some value, obviously, but it's not well-developed. And special teams players always come out looking pretty bad on it. Uh, we've got a couple players, obviously, on the list that I think we'll get to that are special teams players. But let's get right into that if we can. And we're going to do this the way we've done a lot of the list topics on this show is to go 15 to one, and you're going to name your 15th, and I'll name my 15th. If we have overlap, we'll uh, we'll discuss at the time, and then we won't discuss them a second time. Uh, sure. Um, there were some uh, there were some guys that I had some uh, a tough time leaving off of this list of 15. Um, oh, it's very impressive the overall list. Yeah, I, I we can why don't we talk, get the get to the honorable mentions at the end of this, and then we'll, we'll just do the 15 to one to start with because I think having the honorable mentions secret keeps some of the some of the other <laughs> names uh, hidden from us. Of course. All right, number 15, I have uh, Josh Bynes. Uh, played uh, four seasons as a Raven and has an 11 AV. Um, I would have put uh, another linebacker here, Danelle Ellerby, but Bynes, along with Marcus Peters, um, I believe were, you know, they were the biggest additions that, that saved the 2019 defense. Um, and... It was very surprising how well Josh Bynes played when he came in. Um, and, of course, trivia time, he was, he was the uh, uh, the person who recorded the last tackle yep. for the 2012 Super Bowl team. So he was here for a little while, didn't do a heck of a lot, started to blossom, then went elsewhere, came back, and uh, cemented his place on this list for me. Okay, he's he's off of my list, and the reason I did that is because I can't give him credit for the 2019 season with his UDFA time. I mean, that just doesn't have anything to do with the fact that he's a UDFA. He was a free agent at that point. So I, I, I love Bynes. What he did last year was really magical in terms of, of helping turn around that defense, and the way Martindale used him was great. Uh, big play after big play, you know, showed us again that an inside linebacker can make some plays in the passing game after the Ravens didn't have any of those in the first four weeks to speak of. Uh, so very excited about what he did. And, and uh, that Super Bowl tackle is only one of two that was ever mm-hmm. made to end a game and save a game, with the other one being the stop at the one-yard line by Chris Jones, right? Do I have it right? Or Mike Jones, the linebacker for the Rams, anyway, who tackled oh, the place uh, at the one-yard line. Yes, um... Uh, <laughs> it's Jones, uh, but I'm not sure. Yes, it's the tech. Okay, you, you got me on that. Number fifteen. I'll get that one. <laughs> uh, we'll jump in. My guy is Patrick Owasso, so I took another inside linebacker. Owasso uh, did not have a good final season with the Ravens. Uh, in fact, uh, part of the the reason the defense was able to be turned around was the fact that Owasso was uh, sat. Uh, frankly, at the at the um, uh, after week four, uh, played much less. Uh, obviously, Young was sat entirely. Board was sat entirely, and uh, and I also though I, I want to remember for him also for what was good about him, and he certainly had a great platoon season in 2018, uh, working with both Young and Levine at that weak side linebacker spot, which was just unbelievably productive. Yes. Um... I'll have uh, I'll have Peanut uh, on the list as we continue to talk. Um, and you can make your points about Peanut now is what I what I would say, and then we'll, oh, we'll sure. skip him when you get to your point. Um, 2017 and 2018. I I don't know 
why. I mean, he he's a good example. Uh, he he played very poorly last year, um, and still got a score of five AV, and um, he only uh, uh, is listed as a starter for six games, um, even though he he played a significant amount um, uh, in practically every game during the season. But because the defense um, started uh, improving dramatically over the course of the season, I think it, it helped drag his uh, score up for AV. But uh, because of uh, 2017 and 2018, and especially 2018, um, that shows you how good uh, he can be at the, at the will instead of the mic. Yeah. It was it, it very much classic Peter principle. A guy is over-promoted, typically promoted to one level higher than the job he can actually perform. And giving him the green dot and moving him to the mic was just, it was, it put him on the field for snaps that he really couldn't make the contribution that you'd expect out of a three-down mic linebacker. And, uh, it, you know, it's an unfortunate situation. Uh, it's very fortunate for the Ravens. They didn't sign him long-term before mm-hmm. they find this out because obviously they probably would have overpaid but it really reinforced my belief in platoon linebacking in general. And they've gone away from that in this year's draft. And I really hope it works out in terms of Queen and and Lick Harrison. Yeah. If I were to guess, I was going, I would say that the the jets are going to return him to that role when he gets over there. And I wish him well. Yeah, of course. Absolutely. So who's your, did we went over your 15 guy, So we'll move to your number 14 guy now. Okay, uh, the number 14 guy is um, the first offensive lineman on my list, and it's not James Hurst. Um, it's Benny Anderson. Uh, four seasons, uh, 21 AV. Uh, and this is your wheelhouse, Ken. So um, from my memory, uh, Benny was really good at run blocking and really bad at pass blocking. <laughs> Um, he was a one trick pony, but he, he used that trick to his advantage because it was at the time, the Jamal Lewis offense, and he was the right guard. And, um, I believe he was the right guard for the 2000 yard season. That's correct. So he played for Um, a starter for 2001 through 2004. You made the point exactly that it was really Jamal Lewis's heyday where they were not, didn't have any production really from quarterback during that era. 2001, Elvis Gerback was there. 2002 was Jeff Blake. 2003 was the start of the bowler era, which is hard to say without changing your voice somehow. And <laughs> Benny, Benny Anderson was there and started most of those ball games for the Ravens. And, uh, you know, he basically was a lead blocker for Jamal Lewis. Uh, he pulled some, but he was uh, 6'5", 345, just a massive offensive lineman. Uh, a little bit like DJ Fluker, a little bit smaller than DJ Fluker. But uh, but a very big sand in the pants right guard. Uh, you want to uh, to move defensive linemen and not just stand them up. Yep. Uh, there's really not much else to say about Benny. Um, he was uh, he had a role and he and he fit it. Yeah. Number ten on my list was Benny, so I'll go to my number fourteen guy, who's Will Demps, a safety who came in uh, drafted in the undrafted rather, and immediately got playing time in his 2002 rookie season, along with a lot of other players. Boy, they lost a lot of defensive players. That 2002 season, 
is not unlike the sort of replacement that they went on during the offseason in 2019. Uh, Demps was a good player then for several years. At one time, he made a list as being the 10th best safety in the game. I, for, I forget who made that list at the time. I, I kind of was drinking something. I almost spat it out when I saw it. But he was a, <laughs> he was a good player and uh, could, could play the run well, uh, could provide something in coverage, and I liked him. He was. Uh, he was sat next to Ed Reed uh, for the beginning of his career, uh, Reed's career, um, and he wasn't a liability. Um, uh, I'll talk about Demps later. <laughs> You'll probably notice that I'm, I'm, I really like defensive players, so I'll, I'll be skewing that that way. Um, you could, I, I would just he's suggest. He's another guy. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead and bring up your points about Will Demps now. So he's the first person who triggers him on yeah. the list. You say where you put him in and, and give us your reasons why you why you rated him oh, higher. I put him. Oh, sure. Yeah, I have him fifth. Um, the thing that, that I noticed is an awful lot of these guys have about the same AV value. Will Demps is uh, four seasons and an AV of 21, uh, which is exactly the same as Benny Anderson. Um so there's not a whole lot of uh, a gap between five and 14 on this list for me. Anyway, um, Demps, um, I noticed uh, he, he moved to the Giants for the 2006 season. He missed out on that wonderful, wonderful defense. Um, and on another team where he had less talent around him and had to do more, he had a hundred tackle season at a sack and two picks and seven passes defended. Um Reed moved to free safety, if I recall correctly, and the Ravens drafted Dwan Landry to replace uh, mm-hmm. Demps in secondary. Um, but those early, you know, uh, from from Gerback, post-Gerback into the early Bowler years, um, had an awful lot of undrafted free agents that made their mark because of a roster, uh, per, a bit of a roster purge. Mm-hmm. And Demps was one of those guys. Yep, we got we got more showing up on the list later in that category, but uh, no problem with Demps being rated fifth here, the number five guy I'm looking on the list. I agree, there's not that much differentiation between Will Demps and him at number fourteen. Um, you you have a number thirteen player now to name. Yes, I do. Um, Michael Pierce comes in at number thirteen, and I thought he would be higher uh, because of recency bias, perhaps, but. He's another guy sitting at four seasons and 21 AV. Um, Pierce is um, another specialist, someone who's very good at what he does, which is stop the run. And he's just a he's just a block of pure, unadulterated mass. Um, he was pretty much unmovable in 2018, had a. Uh, 91 grade from Pro Football Focus that particular year, um, but only a three AV because uh, he wasn't listed as a starter uh, for most of those games. Um, it really seems to have a uh, penalty for sub package players and and specialists that way. And that's uh, that's obviously the sub package penalty is a huge problem because the sub package players are playing the higher leverage downs. Now that's not always true, and in Pierce's case, he was typically more of a rundown player, also a fourth and short, third and short player, where he's made some of his real impact plays for the Ravens. But if you think about other players who are pass rush specialists or they're pass defense specialists of other sorts, and we'll get to some of that, 
then it's really undervaluing that to basically give the starter most of the credit. Mm-hmm. So anyway, I had Pierce as number three on my list. Uh, in terms of, of raw talent, no doubt about it. I mean, he's he's ahead of just everybody on, else on this list in terms of what he could do that was really exceptional on a football field. I used to say that he had the ability just once per game whenever he wanted to, to drive his guy two yards into the backfield. Um, and mm-hmm. he it's not like he didn't do it on a semi-regular basis, but it seemed like any fourth down he wanted to, he could plow right through either a gap or directly bull rush a player because he got so low and, and had such good leverage that he would give you an excellent chance all by himself to stop a fourth and short play. Yes. Um, at, at his best, he, he can be a real game changer uh, in that regard. I'm concerned a bit about him that he had uh, a bit of a fall off um, last year and now we have a situation with the pandemic, and I just hope that he's uh, uh, able to keep himself in um, uh, in good shape. Uh, yeah. Because he's uh, he's the kind of person that could fall off a cliff uh, production-wise. It's it's always possible, and obviously he had some problems with weight that led to a, a subpar season this last year. But uh, yeah, he's he's. Uh, he and many other linemen in this league are probably going to sit the year out. I just, I, I really question what depth is even going to look like when the season starts, if the season starts at this point. Yeah. Um, and, and it just looks to me like, uh, you know, the marginal depth at best is probably going to look like it does in December in terms of what's still available in the street when we start the season, which means it's really going to be scary when we get to December and you're a team that's still in playoff contention or not, and you need to pick up a player to, to, to finish the year. Yeah, and just wait until after the season when half the league is cut for cap purposes. Yeah, there's going to be a lot of that. That's that's for certain. The Ravens are in good position, but uh, but there's there's going to be a lot of that. If you're the Pittsburgh Steelers, you got some tough decisions to make, which is which is good from a Ravens perspective. I'm going to move on here. Go to my number 13 guy. My guy is Zach Orr. Uh, uh-huh. Came in. Played extremely well on, in the Dean Pease era. Pease loved him as a pass defender. I didn't love him as a pass defender, but uh, I still thought he brought a lot of value, particularly in the run game. Made some plays, certainly in the passing game, uh, but uh, I felt like the the underutilization of the dime during that period was something that actually hurt Zach Orr's actual field value. Now, it didn't hurt his AV, but it hurt his actual field value to be on the team and hurt the defense's value to be there. But uh, very good player, sad set of circumstances, which forced him out of the game. Uh, number 13 on my list. Okay, I've got him um, number eight uh, on the list. Uh, three seasons and a 17 AV. Um, for for lists such as this, which is ultimately an opinionated you know rankings list, you ask yourself, how much does one great season count? Um, for AV in terms of that particular stat, 15 of his 17 career AV came from that one year to 2016, which is 88% of his career value, according to that stat. Huh. Um, so is it fair to say, I mean, I, I think it's fair to say that he could, he had the opportunity to be the number two on this list if he'd stayed healthy. Um, he was... Uh, fast-tracking towards um, an all-pro player. He was named second-team all-pro that particular year. Um, And as far as, you know, how to best utilize him, well, uh, 
uh, Mr. Pease, I guess, is a, is a, is a story for another day. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but um, I'm thinking, I mean, should his work, again, this, this idea of being a reserve player, being a special teams player his first two years, should that count for more uh, than it did? We'll never really know in this case. Yeah, he was a very valuable player during these those years, and the Ravens had a very good defensive season in 2016. I'm not, I don't think the 17 overall is that bad a reflection of his total contribution during those years. I think that's actually seems like it's in the ballpark, you know, looking at AVs normally in terms of, of how players contribute. Um, that's the funny thing about it. It's, it's how it was accumulated, 1-1-15. One, one, that's really weird. I didn't know that before I looked yeah. right now. Yeah. Yep. Uh, 15, I mean, yeah, 15, uh, a Navy score of 15 is, is, is in line with a pro bowl or all pro type player. Oh yeah. So he's just, he's, he's pretty much the definition of a flash in the pan. And, um, thankfully the Ravens are a good enough organization to, um, uh, you know, keep him in the fold and, and take care of him after that very unfortunate injury that he had. All right. Number 12 on your list. Who do you have? Number 12 on my list is Matt Scora. Okay. Um, three seasons and a 20 uh, AV. Um, I feel like his situation is very bad timing. Um, he oh, would yeah. be exactly the type of person that would leave the Ravens for a substantial contract. Um, the Ra- and, and it would be a win-win for both. Uh, Scora would be um, financially set, and the Ravens would get a pretty good uh, compensation pick for a player that they didn't even have to draft in the first place. Um, one of the reasons, just one small reason for their success over the years. Yeah, I, I've got a couple points to make about Scurro. The first is that he improved every season in terms of his scoring by my system, and that's something I always look for in a young player in a UDFA who plays as a rookie really unusual that's why he was always near the top of the uh small extra pool of money they have for uh, players on the first contract the, the performance play uh dollars he, in fact i think he led the nfl one year in in dollars earned uh which was well deserved uh iron man until the injury against the rams uh was it was a player that i you know just really appreciate where he's heading the talk last year by me early in the season anyway was Matt Scar should probably be re-signed by the Ravens before his fourth season, that he would have made perfect sense for there to be divisible benefit on the table and the and the organization and and Scurra would both have benefited from an early signing the way Chuck Clark and Patrick Ricard became early signings as well. So, uh, you know, very unfortunate for him. He's sixth on my list uh, among the players here, and I think uh, he still could be a player who, if you continue to value his UDFA after his uh, free agency has been reached, which is a questionable uh, thing to do, but if you did so, then I think he could uh, he could easily still uh, broach the top five. Yes, he could. Um, now, my particular list, um, like I said with, with Josh Bynes, what I did was accumulate all of their Ravens playing time. So there will be a couple more uh, errors in that regard. Um, but uh, yeah, uh, I'm Matt Scora, I, I, I am pleasantly surprised with, I really should, I don't know if I really should be surprised at the way um, these players come back from injury during their rehab process, but uh, 
he seems to be on uh, online. Smart guy, enjoyed his play, love his footwork, by the way, and that's something that, just watching the 05 and 06 seasons right now, I don't want to beat this guy up, but there's another guy higher on the list that really reminds you what bad footwork is, <laughs> in, a, in a center oh. anyway, we'll, so we'll, we'll get to him a little later. I have a, yeah, okay. I, I, I'm going to go with my number 12 guy next year is Anthony Levine. Uh, in a sense, he's one of the most betrayed by the AV statistic. Um, Anthony Levine has been absolutely a terrific Ironman special teams player for the Ravens. Very smart. He's he's got the captaincy there. He's uh, uh, played 112 consecutive games now for the Ravens. I mean, a lot of people don't even think about that, but he's played, uh, you know, seven straight seasons of not missing a game since the beginning of 2013. Uh not only has a special teams play been great in 2018, and the Ravens took a long time in the Pease era to finally reinstitute the dime, finally got it back in 2017. He played great then, had three sacks, um, made all sorts of contributions on high leverage downs. 2018, though, the first year of Martindale, he had the greatest ever year by a Ravens dime, and that is really saying something, folks. At the t- that was at the time because I think Clark beat him in 2019, at least by my adjudication of it. Corey Harrison, 2000, fantastic dime. Chad Williams in 2004, very great dime. Also, Ravens have always had good players in that spot, and and Levine was uh, was the best of them to that point. Levine, I have at nine on my list, and. Mm-hmm. Just listening to you expose about him, I should have him higher. I, I, I feel like that. Um, AV, like you said, really hurts here because they don't give uh, sub-package players and, and special teamers that much credit. So over eight seasons as a Raven, he accumulated merely nine AV. And that's the way it is. Um, as long as you know, as long as you kind of know going in, um, that kind of situation, then uh, you can write uh, the wrong in terms of value and, and, and get them up here with the rest of the guys. There you go. I, I agree completely. And I, I'm even thinking about it that, that I had my next guy probably rated too high, but it's your turn at number 11. <laughs> number 11 uh, is Peanut. We kind of already okay. went over him. All righty. Uh, who is uh, your number 11? My number 11, Mayaki Kimioato. And a great defensive lineman for the Ravens for four seasons from 2002 to 2005. Uh, came in and, and played regularly. They used him much in the way they did Pierce. Uh, Kimoyatu was not quite as good, but he was asked to do an awful lot uh, immediately as soon as he joined the Ravens uh, and was basically the, the starting nose tackle for uh, several years in there. So uh, did a great job uh, turning the 2002 team around, which was not a great defense, but it was a defense that was very young. And then the 03 defense, of course, was great again. And 04 and 05, only the defense was keeping the Ravens in games during those years. So um, really, uh, his contributions are very significant during that period. He came back to the 2012 Ravens and won the Super Bowl with them. Nice for him to get that benefit, I don't. I didn't credit him with that effort in terms of uh, of what he did. But he's still number eleven on my list. Uh, I've got him. I got a number number ten. So, okay. um, uh, I again, yeah, I, I was giving them some credit for comeback years. Uh, in this case, twenty twelve. 
Um, I remember uh, one thing pe people always point out the uh, the lights going out in that Super Bowl, but um, sometime during uh, the uh, second early second half, I think we lost um, Haloti Nada to injury mm -hmm. for the rest of the game, and the defense uh, really having a tough time uh, without him. So. I was actually wondering, do you know if Kamiliatu, uh, Kamiliatu started uh, the game at nose tackle, or was that Terrence Cody, and who was replacing uh, Nada? It would not have been Terrence Cody, but let me just look real quickly and look at his at his game logs for the playoffs that season, and in 2012. So his final his final game, like Ray Lewis, he went out winning the Super Bowl, and he, he did he started started each of those four playoff games. Okay, so. Um, that's, uh, that's something he, he, part of the, um, uh, part of the pipeline, um, from Polynesia out of, out of Utah, mm -hmm. um, Utah appears to scout very well over there and, and Make, uh, who subsequently, uh, uh, gained us citizenship from Hawaii, um, uh, is just one of those guys. Um, it's a good reservoir to take a look at, particularly for defensive linemen. And um, uh, he left uh, after five seasons and uh, or four seasons, I should say, and, and um, uh, 18 and 19 AV um, to go to Carolina uh, for a while and then came back, won a Super Bowl. Something that, you know, maybe somebody like Pernell McPhee will be able to do if we actually play out the season. Yeah, that that would be nice, uh, and he was productive in Carolina as well. A, a nice, consistently productive run defense, primarily nose tackle throughout his career. Now, if I'm looking ahead here, I believe we've both done number ten. I had Benny Anderson, and you had Kimo, My number ten. Yep. So at number nine, who's your guy? Anthony Levine. Okay, right. Anthony Levine. Okay, so my guy at number nine, uh, since we already discussed Levine, is Gus Edwards. Uh, definitely mm -hmm. a uh, a couple of seasons there that are absolute perfect comps for each other, both extraordinarily good. His first year, he had all sorts of um, outstanding after-contact numbers, uh, particularly in the middle of the field. An absolute dream pairing with Lamar Jackson in terms of a power guy up the middle who, when double teams have a little bit of time to uh, develop during the mesh point, he has an excellent chance to get a second-level opportunity where he really makes defenders pay. Um, I, I I don't happen to have him on the list, but he's one of about five guys that I could easily throw uh, somewhere on this list. And he's still got a future ahead of him as a Raven. Um, so hopefully, you know, uh, we get uh, uh, playing time for his sake uh, out of him. It's going to be a pretty crowded running back room. Um but uh, when he is on the field, he, he, he has uh, uh, been um, very, very good at, uh, uh, like you said, um, uh, missing tackles, uh, executing the offense. Um, so uh, Gus Edwards is, uh, uh, I'm certainly happy that I, I remember the Ravens um, had three undrafted uh, rookie free agents that year at the running back position. Um, they had Mark Thompson, uh, mm -hmm. 
They had Gus Edwards. Hmm. Um, who was the third guy? Oh, you're not talking about Collins, are you? It's a it's a Thompson Edwards and another guy who's on the on the practice squad that got elevated. Because Collins, uh, Collins, yeah, they were all up. on the practice squad, and uh, I was I was more of a fan of the other two than Edwards, uh, and I think perhaps. It was a, a an anti Rutgers bias. Uh, I, I'm thinking, can there really be that many good players coming out of Rutgers? Um, <laughs> but there are there there are you know just look at the New England secondary and um, you can see that. So um, there's talent over there. It's a, uh, definitely a very uh, a very good player there. Number number eight for you. Now we're up to. Number eight is where I put Zach Orr. Um, I was really kind of uh, debating, you know, whether to put him higher or lower, but eight is where I ended up with him. Okay. Number number eight for me, Albert McClellan, another great special teams player for the Ravens for many years. One of the reasons I wanted McClellan on my list is he just did everything that was asked of him in terms of versatility to play whatever defensive position they needed. So he played outside linebacker. He played as a rush linebacker effectively with Suggs out in the early part of 2012 and held that de- helped hold that defense together in the early part of that season before Suggs returned. Suggs honestly didn't have a very good year in 2012 anyway, uh, and McClellan continued to be used in various roles over the years. He played uh, some standing outside linebacker, obviously some, some inside linebacker uh, as well. Uh, lots of special teams responsibilities. Oftentimes during that period, he was asked to do more than he really could, but it was only because out of extreme need that the Ravens asked him to do that. So in a lot of cases, you hope people remember what McClellan could do as opposed to what he couldn't do. Uh, McClellan uh, is in my honorable mentions list. Um, I'm glad that you uh, included him in your list, though, so that we could go over a couple uh, talking points with him. he, much like Anthony Levine, his, his score is uh, suppressed uh, mm-hmm. because of who he was, what he did. Um, I got the feeling um, uh, McClellan was a very, very good player, did a lot of different things. But uh, Levine is kind of the guy um, of that unit, like the the, uh, uh, the 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 belt holder of the special teams uh, unit, which is why I ended up having. Uh, living over him, but uh, McClellan is going to end up being one of those guys that uh, aficionados of the Ravens are going to remember him, um, but the casual fan probably won't. So yeah. it will be up to us to remember them uh, and tell people about them. I remember Albert McClellan. That's true. That'll be an interesting thing. He's kind of like the Benny Thompson of his era, you know, in terms of being that, or maybe Levine is, if you want to call it that way. But I will say this, whenever Jerry Rosberg would go to the podium, Rosberg, interesting character, by the way, special teams coach for many years for the Ravens, but absolute firebrand talking to his players on the field. He curses like a sailor. It tells him to get in position. We're doing this rep over again because he doesn't know what the hell's going on kind of thing. And come, come back here. 
And then he goes to the microphone, and he's this professorial, very witty character, and, and it, it just is a completely different personality. He, he was always very flippant and, and never really liked, I think, being at the podium. He didn't really want to answer questions, but he, but he would always give you a sarcastic answer. Uh, mm-hmm. it, it was just very funny about the thing. Sort the, of. One, the one thing he was not sarcastic about was that Albert McClellan was the guy he could always depend on to be in the right position when he's covering kicks. And that is okay. it's just the highest praise of all. Yes, that's that's extremely high praise, and from a legendary coach. Mm. Absolutely. Okay, so we're number eight. That was number eight for me. So I think we're up to number seven for you. Yes, uh, number seven is where I ended up putting Mike Flynn. Um, Mike Flynn happens to have the highest AV score among all. Uh, undrafted free agents uh, based on his playing time as a Raven. Um, He played 10 seasons in Baltimore all his career, his entire career. Uh, That list is pretty short of players who've played 10 plus seasons as a Raven and are Raven lifers. Um, Flynn, however, was never a... um, uh, superlative player. Uh, he was always kind of just there um, for a long time. Um, I was very interested in hearing what your grades for him uh, were over the years as he was just, I mean, he started the, at right guard for the 2000 team, I believe, and uh, uh, moved to center and just stayed there. So uh, what do you think about Mike Flynn and how valuable he was? Let me preface this by saying what I've done with Mike Flynn is probably unfair because I I have looked at the tail end of his career so far, the 06 and 07 seasons, a portion of the 05 seasons we've scored now, and I have not scored the early seasons as we work our way back to 1996. Already got there on defense, have logged all the plays for that, but on the offensive line scoring, my wife and I do that, and we just do it on as as – uh, we can basis. Last last night, we scored one quarter of the 2005 Bears-Ravens nightmare in Chicago. So uh-huh. that's, that's a game where Flynn is playing. And unfortunately, you see things almost every game from Flynn in terms of some footwork getting him in trouble, whether it's either stepping on the quarterback's foot, which was a fairly, fairly common occurrence uh, during the bowler era, or tripping a guard while that's going on. And I attribute actually a lot of that to poor coaching. That, that the Ravens' offensive line coaching at the time was not as focused on the, some of these fundamental issues, and a Joe D would have been able to iron that out and, and keep it from happening. Um, Flynn had a lot of other problems in terms of, of not being not having the greatest anchor, but it wasn't, you know, when you look at all centers, it wasn't terrible. Um, it was mostly the footwork issues that really get me more than anything else about, uh, about what he did. And I, I did by the Go ahead. I definitely remember. I definitely remember Kyle Bowler tripping and stumbling. <laughs> I, this, I remember that. One particular play from early 2005 where Flynn steps on his foot and Vincent trips him. It's just a, it's a <laughs> double whammy. And it's, it's not, it wasn't Bowler. It's was actually Anthony Wright. But it's the same yes. basic idea that, that these guys do. Anyway, I had Flynn fourth on my all-time list. I, the, the, you know, the... The time at which he did, I, I felt like he had to be better in those earlier years than he was in the later years than I would I saw him, or he just wouldn't have still been around at that point. 
that makes logical sense. I mean, you play 10 seasons for the team. Um, perhaps, you know, there's a, because they like him so much, he'd be hanging on a little, a little too long with the team, but there he is. Uh, uh, <laughs> um, that's an interesting thing about the coach. You, you would think something like that would, would be coached out. It, it, during that time, the offense were not just the center quarterback uh, exchange, but would be just doing things that that high school teams wouldn't be doing from time to time. It, it was very strange to watch. Yeah. Lot, lots <clears> of problems. So, we're up to your number seven guy. Uh, Mike Flynn is, is my number seven. Okay. Mike Flynn is your number seven. All right. Next up is, is my number seven guy then, which is Jameel McClain. Uh, inside linebacker obviously played a lot with Ray Lewis uh, during the uh, uh, years from 2008 on. And uh, heck of a player. Um, had a good nose for the football, second man of the ball, not the greatest coverage guy, often came off the field on third down um, uh, for the dime package. But uh, heck of a two-down run stopper. In a lot of ways, he's exactly what the Ravens have been missing in some of the last few years. Uh, and he continued on uh, to play one year with the Giants after he left. But, you know, people sometimes forget he started or he played 87 games as a Raven. 55 of those were starts um, and, and contributed a lot of tackles, 331 tackles over that period. So um, not an insignificant amount of, uh, of total counting contributions. I've got him at number three, um, six seasons, 32 AV overall. Uh, which is fourth on the AV list. Um, and he, he is one of, he, he's one of the poster children of Ravens undrafted free agent linebackers. Um, one of the people that you turn to towards uh, that position at that, well, not that draft value, but undraft value um, uh, in, in Ravens history. And um, you're right. Um, it is somebody that, uh, I'm thinking they're going to get back that kind of play with Malik Harrison. Um, uh, but he gave them exactly what they needed playing next to Shug. Here's, here's my question for you. If McLean, they've, they've been good at this. There's plenty of others on our list and you can guess, obviously Bart Scott is still coming for both of us, but LRB, we've got uh, Zach Orr, we've got peanut, you know, you've got binds. I mean, it's a very long list of undrafted free agent linebackers. At what point do the Ravens say, hey, we're good at this. We can find and develop. We can scout guys that no one else can find. I remember the Bart Scott thing was that they, they weren't even allowed to say his name for fear another team would pick up on him from northern Illinois and, and, and draft him before the Ravens mm -hmm. could sign him as, a, as an undrafted player. But you know, at what point do you say we're good enough at this that we we can try and economize on draft capital spent at inside linebacker? And they went completely in the other direction this year, using a high percentage of their draft capital on the combination of Queen and Harrison. It does feel unusual. Um, over the years, however, I mean, they, they've found linebacking talent, no matter if it was in the first round or day two, day three, or un, undrafted. Um, I guess they just they have the players that they like and then they try and figure out a way to get them as low as possible. And the, this previous draft, uh, I guess that just wasn't the case. Yeah. They had uh, Lewis and Mosby Mo, uh, Mosley were players that they got 
early on in the draft. They obviously got both of them in the first round at 16 and 26 or 15 and 26, whatever it was. But the, mm-hmm. the guys they've drafted actually rounds two through seven have not been particularly good. Those guys, uh, they haven't found a lot of talent at linebacker in there. There's a whole bunch of Mike Smith, and you know maybe that's unfair because he's a seventh-round selection, but Jordan Phillips mm-hmm. was in the group, and you know other players who are relative unknowns in Ravens history. Uh, but it's, been the, it's, it's really been the first round of the UDFAs that have really been successful for the Ravens. I'd really be just, yeah, I'd be just fine with that, uh, <laughs> personally. Um, yeah, and then they'll have people like uh, John Simon, who they end up letting slip through their fingers. Um, yeah, OLB in this case. There, there really isn't all that much difference between a day three pick and a UDFA, um, uh, as evidenced by the draft, you know, being, what, 17 rounds or more before they cut it down. Sure. So the guys they drafted, just to go through quickly here, Kenny Young is a is a guys who are not a first round pick but still drafted. Kenny okay. Young, uh, looking looking looking, take me a moment to get through this. Sergio Kendall is an outside linebacker. Yeah, outside. Uh, if you include outside linebacker, I'm not. I'm not. Guys, yeah. I, I don't want to do that. Jason Phillips, uh, Tavares Gooden. Uh, I uh, nope. Prescott Burgess, uh, Ryan LaCasse, LaCasse. Mike Mike Smith, Roger Mm -hmm. Green was an outside linebacker. So, I mean, you can see where I'm going with this. They just have not hit on a single inside linebacker. Ed Hartwell in the fourth round in 2004 is the other one they hit on. So that's, uh, that ain't much. Ron Rogers, Tyrus McLeod, Cornell Brown was an outside linebacker, so he doesn't count. Uh, and Dexter you Daniels. There. You have a pretty good point there, inside linebacker. If you don't, if you don't count outside linebackers and sort out just the inside ones, well, I, I hope that um, I hope that Malik Harrison bucks that trend. <laughs> yes, you're right. That's the he's a big he's a big swing for the Ravens to take a guy there. One more point about McLean before we get off him. I believe him to be, and I do not have a way to verify this, the only player in the history of the National Football League to record a safety on his first NFL snap. And he took down uh, Jamarcus Russell in the end zone in 2008, and they're meeting there to uh, to record a safety on his first NFL snap. Uh, and that's, of course, on defense. Uh, there, There's the uh, two, uh, two opposite ends of the spectrum right there. Jamil McLean, undrafted, works his way onto the team, has a decent career, and Jamarcus Russell. <laughs> number one overall draft pick you're right that is there's a certain irony in that isn't there hmm. um okay so uh you're uh, number six guy moving on to number six um this is a guy i was excited to include on the list uh marquez douglas um five seasons 21 av there's that number again 21 um he was an undrafted free agent in 1999 then he was cut. He didn't make the Ravens team. He went and played for the Ryan Fire for a year um, and then spent a cup of coffee with New Orleans Saints and then came back to the Ravens. At that point, he started accruing time. Um, he had two very good seasons in 20, uh, 2003 and 2004 uh, when uh, Ed Reed uh, exploded into the player that he, that he uh, uh, peaked at. Um, the defensive line at that time, and this was 
you know, the, the early Kyle Bowler um, years. Uh, the defensive line read Anthony Weaver, uh, which was a, a solid second round pick. Then you had Kelly Gregg, who is, you know, the, the consummate um, uh, guy that people turn to for, for being underrated. And he seems like a guy that would be on this list, that would be in a UDFA, but he wasn't. He, he was drafted by Cincinnati uh, and was their loss after they cut him. And then you have Marquez Douglas. So Weaver, Gregg, and Douglas – not exactly a line that would uh, uh, jump out at a, uh, uh, a national observer. Uh, but those defenses were still really good, and they had to be because the offense was, was just running the ball. So he signed uh, with San Francisco after his time, uh, got, a, got a good payday, came back uh, in the 2008 season as a reserve for another top five defense. So that's my guy. Okay, that's that's a good uh, pick. I like it. I had him at number five. Um, I, I I really liked his career. He was a very high volume snap guy, uh, defensive end that they could they could depend on a lot. Uh, defensive end, defensive tackle, both really, but but more really known as that five tech guy, and definitely an impressive uh, player in terms of tackles for loss. Good run run penetrator who also made plays in the passing game. Uh, I I liked him as much obviously as any defensive lineman on the list, with the exception of Pierce, and Douglas certainly put in a lot more playing time with the Ravens. Okay, uh, who's your number six? Uh, my number six guy is Matt Skura, so we've covered him. We go to uh, your okay. number five guy. My number five guy was Will Demps, and we've covered him. All right. My number four guy uh, – sorry, your number four guy is next. My number, my number four four guy five guy is Douglas, yeah. Oh, my, of course. Yeah, right. My number four guy. Okay. My number four guy uh, might be a, a, a bit controversial uh, for as controversial as this list can get, but Priest Holmes. <laughs> Priest Holmes is my number four. Uh, in terms of AV, he only played four seasons and accrued 18 AV as a running back before moving on to uh, greener pastures. I don't know how many Ravens fans, especially um, uh, Ravens fans age 30 and under, uh, know that Priest Holmes rushed for the Ravens for over 1,000 yards and seven touchdowns in 1998. Uh, he, uh, as a Raven... He averaged 4.6 yards per carry, and he caught 88 passes, and he was the number two running back for the 2000 championship team. Um, and I think he he essentially proves himself by you put him in a better offense with a better offensive line in Kansas City, and he nets 2,000-plus yards for a scrimmage for three consecutive years. So should a running back be rated this high? I think so for his case, for his case, because a lot of it has to do with when he played and how reliant the Ravens were on the run game to do anything. I, you know, Holmes, I loved and I left him off my list I, in looking at this again. I probably treated him unfairly because I had Gus Edwards at number nine. And I actually think they're a very similar value. Holmes, not a great receiver in terms of his catch percentage. So that I didn't really like. He always had a catch percentage in his career with the Ravens in the, just the low 70s. Actually, I've got it here. 70.4% as a Raven. That's unacceptable for a running back. And then, you, of course, you think about, well, it was the 98 to 2000 Ravens. So who the hell was throwing in the ball during that time? It was a lot of Tony Banks. It was some of Trent Dilfer. It was some of Jim Harbaugh during that era. So 
nobody particularly good, but his yards per target were terrible in that era. 4.2, 6.1, 4.8. Even for a running back, that's quite bad. Um, as, the, the 98 team, the 98 yeah. team was the one under Jim Harbaugh. Yes. And that particular team was sixth in the league in yards per attempt rushing, but only 23rd in the league in net yards per attempt passing. <laughs> That's that's about right. And he was boy, he was the golden guy that they got that year. And then, of course, the next year they got Scott Mitchell to turn things around and he lasted two games. Uh, boy, what a good mess. Never knowing who your franchise quarterback is. It's obviously a problem. OK, well, Priest Holmes, I, I, I probably was unfair leaving you off, but I'm glad you got him on the list. And uh, and maybe we can agree he's somewhere in the middle or maybe we can't. And that's fine, too. So we move on. Uh, we just did your number four guy. My number four guy is Mike Flynn. So I think we're okay. good there. So your number three guy. Well, as Jamil McLean, so we're good there. Okay. And, and I had Michael Pierce there at number three. How about your number two guy? I believe we have the okay. same two guys left, if I, unless I'm wrong. Uh, same two guys left in some order. Um, Bart Scott comes in at number two for me. Um, very clear number two for me. Uh, seven seasons in Baltimore, 44 AV. At some point, uh, uh, AV does start coming into play if you have a longer career uh, uh, with a team, season after season after season of, of accruing value. Um, Scott is second on the all-time list uh, of AV as a Raven uh, for an undrafted free agent. Uh, he started uh, He started out as a reserve. He took over for Ed Hartwell in 2005. Mm-hmm. And then Jimmy McLean took over for Bart Scott. Um, in 2006, that uh, uh, vaunted 2006 organized chaos defense, he had 103 combined tackles, mm-hmm. 12 tackles for loss, nine and a half sacks, 20 quarterback hits, two interceptions, nine passes defended, and a 15 AV, which is a higher score than Ray Lewis had that year. Uh, but don't Lewis worry. Was Ray's, hurt some of that year, right? Yeah. yeah, Ray's high score is 26. He had a score of 26 in the 2000 team, so that's not a problem. Um, but he uh, he and he remained the starting caliber inside linebacker until his last season in 2012 with the Jets. So he really uh, made himself a heck of a career. So and, during the, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I thought you might have been done there. No, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, sorry. Well, the 2002 to 2004, he's playing with Mike Nolan as his defensive coordinator and frankly did not see the field as much as maybe his talent would have caused him to, but was still on the field a decent amount. 2005 to 2008 were the glory years with Rex Ryan. And Rex Ryan mm-hmm. loved Bart Scott. He started the, you know, basically that entire period. He didn't start the first six games of 2005, but did thereafter. And you know, he 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 and really liked playing for Rex Ryan. And the story goes that after the 2008 season was completed, Rex Ryan didn't really get along with Harbaugh that well and was ready to move to New York, took the job there. And as soon as the free agent deadline had passed, the league year had begun and the and the free agent period was there. Uh, Bart, uh, sorry, Rex was at his house at 12:05 to pick him up and say, "Hey, we're going to New York." <laughs> come up in the car and he wouldn't take no for an answer. That and they had sounds just before. like him. That, was, that sounds that. just like him. Yeah. Um, so is he your number two? He is my number two guy. And uh, I think that leaves us with the same number one. You can bring him in. Justin Tucker. Uh, oh, I had James Hurst. 
Oh, James. I, I'm just kidding. <laughs> uh, Justin Tucker is on track to be the best kicker in NFL history. Um, he really is. Uh, right now, now, I I ended up looking at AV values for kickers, and uh, I didn't think I would be doing that yesterday, but there I was. Um, it seems like for kickers anyway, that, that AV, uh, does a fairly good job, you know, comparing kicker to kicker, um, because it's basically comes down to, you know, volume and accuracy. Yeah, that's, that's pretty much all you have as far as data points, uh, volume, distance, and accuracy. Um, he is already after just eight seasons and kickers last a long time after just eight seasons, he's 41st all time in kicker AV with a score of 41. Uh, most kickers above him have at least twice as long a career. Uh, Morton Anderson is the number one on this list with a 97 AV, and it took him 25 years to get to that. Um, I noticed that an elite score for a kicker appears to be six or more in a season. I queried that it's happened 116 times in NFL history. Um, and Adam Vinatieri did it twice. Gary Anderson did it twice. Morton Anderson did it three times. Jan Stenerud did it four times. Tucker in just eight seasons has already done it thrice. It's impressive. So, there you have it. He's the, he's, he's on track to be the goat. I, 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 so many things about Tucker are amazing. It's really hard to pick just one, but I'll say this Tucker, uh, there've been 175 total seasons of 128 or more points scored by any position in the NFL. That includes, I think it's five or six guys who, who did it as running backs primarily, although a, a few of those, particularly in the, old, in the old years, were also the kickers, like Paul Horning would be a, an example of that. Uh, mm-hmm. But, but is mostly uh, kickers on the list. And of those 175 seasons of all time of 128, Justin Tucker has played eight seasons and has eight seasons of 128 or more points, including remarkably the last four of exactly 141 points. So he's not only good, he's been consistent Um, in terms of all measures of distance. He's the longest range kicker of all time in terms of average miss distance. He's by far the longest in terms of average make distance. He's the longest. He's the highest in terms of percentage. Um, He's a very, very special player. And I I guess I'd ask the question of you uh, is what if he came? What if another team came to the Ravens and said, "You know what? We've just been having problems with our kicking game. We'll give you a first-round draft pick for for uh, Tucker. Would you take it?" Oh. Hmm. The Sebastian Janikowski question, eh? Um, <laughs> Effectively, yeah. Yeah. Would I spend a first-round draft pick on Justin Tucker, knowing I I, I think I would. I, I I know it's it sounds crazy, but. But I think I would. I think he's the only guy that I would do that for. Um, by the, by the as, way, effectively, draft, <laughs> if as, you as would refuse no. the trade, yeah. if you would refuse the trade, then you would spend that draft capital because that's exactly what you've done. Right. <laughs> and and in this case, in the case of Tucker, I think it makes it an even more interesting question now that he's making four or five million a year that another team would still potentially value him that highly. Um, and I, I don't know that anyone out there is actually doing that, but it wouldn't it wouldn't shock me 
if another otherwise very polished team would say, hey, this is the thing that will put us over the top. If a Kansas City had problems with their kicking game, they say, well, our draft pick's going to be pretty low in the first round. And what if we could get Tucker for a one? He'd really finish off our special teams in a way that's, uh, you know, just hasn't been done so far. Well, think about this. If Kansas City suddenly develops Pittsburgh Steelers syndrome and has trouble with their kicker, Mm-hmm. And they come to the Ravens and say, we'll give you the first round pick for Justin Tucker. And the Ravens do that. Then wouldn't that be a significant power switch in the in the hierarchy in, in, in the AFC? Kansas City's already been able to win a Super Bowl. And the, the scene in the near future is it looks like it's going to be Kansas City and Baltimore year after year. Um, so. I wouldn't want to be the one I wouldn't want to be the guy to give Justin Tucker over to the Chiefs in this hypothetical situation because it might end up costing the Ravens a couple of playoff games. It's it's definitely a, it would be a big risk to do it. Uh, I'm always generally in favor of trading a player for a first round draft pick. Almost anybody obviously wouldn't do it with Lamar Jackson, but almost anybody uh, if you could get that, I, I would take the deal. These recent two number ones for a player that you then have to assign to a contract are just absurd to me. I mean, the Jamal Adams trade is just beyond absurd. I'm saying if we could get two number ones, the equivalent player that I would trade right now would be like Mark Andrews. And he's got a year of additional time on his first contract. Actually, Jamal Adams is a first-round pick, so he's a 50-year option. But you understand what I mean on that, that Adams is through three seasons and Andrews is through two. Um, You know, if you want Orlando Brown and it's only one first-round pick, fine. (laughs) <laughs> you, you, he's yours. <laughs> um, yeah. it's just, you, you've got to be realistic about this. I know they want to keep a lot of this team chemistry together, but the Ravens' strength is in drafting. And uh, and if they can acquire an extra number one pick for, for pretty much anybody, you know, Lamar Jackson obviously excluded, um, you know, they do it. If they came to the Ravens with the Laramie Tunsil offer for Ronnie Stanley, I'd have to seriously consider that. If, yeah. if somebody I said, mean, you know, got two a, number ones. They got a fifth out of Kerry Vedvik. So. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> they'll uh, the Ravens. I, I really I don't have any any anxiety over their ability to make good decisions in that regard. And they'll keep the guys that they need to keep, and and they'll let the uh, the other ones walk and work the system. Yeah, very good. So that's so- the list that I have. Problem, a, a problem and a good problem for good teams who draft well is they always have to make difficult decisions as players roll off their rookie contracts on who they keep, who are their cornerstone players. But I always say that's a lot better situation to be in than, say, the Arizona situation or other teams which don't really have a lot of choice between their cornerstone players. They're choosing for them because they only have one good player from a draft class or they only have, yeah. you know, whatever it is. So great situation the Ravens have been in. Play the comp system, draft well, do what you can. Really and appreciate sign good yeah. undrafted free agents <laughs> and sign good UDFAs. That's that touches all the bases now to bring us back to where we were. Um, really appreciate having you on the show. Uh, if you could tell people again where they can find you. Uh, well, I can be found on the RSR uh, message boards uh, as WNC Ravens fan, and um, uh, you can hit me up on. Uh, Facebook or Twitch or Skype um, or Discord. Uh, a lot of uh, there's there's they're diversifying these um, uh, uh, apps. Uh, 
that you can contact somebody with these days, I suppose. Um, and thank you very much for uh, for having me, Ken. Uh, you're, you're more than welcome, Jason. Love to get more people like you. Just a very intelligent conversation. We've been at it for uh, over an hour here, but it's, the time has flown because it's so much fun. Uh, but looking for other people who want to have a good conversation about football, do a film study short. Easiest way, contact me by uh, DM. We set these things up very quickly, and we're, we're next day recording uh, with Jason. Actually, it might have been two days ago or one day ago we agreed to do this. Very recently, um, anyway. <laughs> it was yesterday and yesterday. here we are <laughs> so uh fast turnaround time on this i like timely topics and i love it when uh, when people put two or three bullet points about what they want to do and what they want to talk about like jason did and uh, uh great topic uh thanks again jason and we'll talk to you next time on film study <laughs>